Well, good evening, everybody. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Tim Heist. I'm the student ministry pastor here at Timberline. So I get to lead middle school, high school students. So on Wednesday night, there's middle school small groups going on. Um, We have other adults, an awesome adult leader team over there. There's not 100 middle schoolers just roaming the building. We would know it if there were. Um, Probably. At any rate, so that's what I get to do here at Timberline and love every minute of it. Tonight, we get to be together and continue this series, The Most Misused Verses um, in the Bible. And I think one that we're going to look at tonight that could be a challenge to all of us, one that we look at that we read differently and we understand differently than we use it, and I think one that could challenge kind of like our very core of who we are and our identity in the sense of how do we come to faith or as a child, what is a verse that our parents often used? My mother used this verse. Um, I remember her writing it on the mirror in the bathroom and above the toilet. Moms do that, by the way, because boys read it. Um, and like all over the house, and I remember reading this over and over and over again. So when Brent had invited me to share a week, I said, hey, I got to take that verse. Um, I have to look at Jeremiah 29, 11, because I think it's really important. Um, and this last Sunday at Timberline Student Ministries at high school group, we took a few minutes and paused and looked at this idea um, in Luke 5. So a different idea in Luke 5. Luke 5 is where the story of the man on the mat. How many of you guys have heard the story? There's a paralyzed guy, and he's on the mat, and four friends come pick him up. They try to take him to Jesus, and they realize that they can't get in um, because there's too many people to where Jesus is to get the guy healed. So they cut a hole in the roof and drop the guy down the roof, and Jesus sees their faith and heals the man. And we posed this question to our students and a young freshman. I said, hey, who is more important, the guy on the mat that Jesus healed or the four friends? And he immediately was like, oh, easy, the guy on the mat because he was healed by Jesus. And he goes, but he couldn't get there without the friends. And I go, so who's more important? And he goes, ah, I have no, what do you want me to say here? (laughs) And I said, good answer. I'm not sure either. Um, And the reason I'm saying this is in TSM, Timberline Students, or really anything we do, this is called Wednesday Night Community, um, it is about us and our individual encounter with Jesus and healing and fixing and restoring the brokenness of our lives. But it's also about the people around us that take us to Jesus and the people that we need to be a friend to and take to Jesus. So we call this Wednesday Night Community. um, And I don't know what happens in here every week because I'm usually in middle school. So if this isn't normal, That's okay. But what we're going to do is pause three different times tonight. And what I'm going to invite you to do is turn someone you're next to. Maybe it's somebody you know very well. Maybe it's someone you've never met in your life. um, And share a couple things. I'm not going to ask you to be very vulnerable. I'm just going to ask you to take a second to pause and to think through what we're talking about. In my life, I mean, you guys are very similar. This morning, it was up early, was doing work, and then I coached a soccer team, and boom, 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 grabbed dinner, ran out the door, got here, and like our lives just end up being a massive, massive blur. So our goal tonight is that this isn't a blur of part of the day, but it's a time we can kind of pause and see what Jesus would have for us and one another. So the first one, um, you probably already introduced yourself to the person you're next to, but take a second, if you haven't, share your name. If it's your spouse, they probably know, they know your name. Um, but turn to, hopefully, uh, turn to them um, and maybe share something that's really important and valuable to you. If you know this person very well, if it is your spouse, maybe share a highlight of the day. For me, my days get so, so busy that I miss what God is doing, and I miss really good things that happen because I'm already worried about what's next. So if you don't know this person, your name, maybe where you work, your kids, a hobby, if you do know this person, a highlight from your day. We'll take like 60 seconds. Ready, go. All right. All right, come on back. 
Come on back. Okay, was that too bad? Was that terrible? Anybody? Nobody left, so we're good. Okay, um, we'll do that two more times throughout the night. Tonight, we're going to look at this verse. And for me, something that's been big through my life is Jeremiah 29, 11. At a point in my life, through middle school and high school, it became kind of this idea of a life verse, like a favorite verse. Someone would say, hey, what's your favorite verse? Boom, this one. Um, and I think for a lot of different reasons. One, because I like to be known by God. It's nice not to be anonymous. Um, two, it's nice to know that someone has plans for you, especially as a young adult or a high school, middle school, high school student, not knowing what's next, or as an adult in a situation that you're like, I don't know how this is going to end. It's, it's assuring to know that God knows that. Um, so this idea of life verse kind of came up, and I remember sharing it. In sixth grade, um, I went to a very small Christian school. We had 35 kids in our class, um, which isn't tiny, tiny, but it's pretty small for a private school. And I remember they would invite a student from each class to share over the intercom every morning um, their favorite verse, their life verse. So in sixth grade, I went down, and being my name is Tim or Timothy, I remember sharing the verse in Timothy that says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Be an example, example for the believers in faith and life and on and on. And I remember sharing that and being like shaking over the intercom, which is funny because nobody can see you. But anyways, um, and sharing that verse, and it became this staple in my life. And then as time went on, um, began to think about this Jeremiah passage. And I remember getting it on a graduation, graduation card after graduation card after graduation card. If you buy a Christian graduation card, it's probably on there. Um, or maybe a birthday card. And they entered this like huge tension for me. That was like, okay, I know God has plans to prosper, not to harm, a plan for a future, um, and all these things, but I'm not seeing it. And this isn't making sense, and there has to be more to it. Um, and so this tension kind of arose. At the time, I was going to a very uh, charismatic Pentecostal church, and I was going to a Baptist high school. So you can see the tension there. As well, yeah. If you understand those two worlds and have been a part of either of them, you're like, whoa, how did that work? Um, right. It, it was a tension. Um, but challenged me to think through, okay, what do I believe? What does this actually all mean? Um, so I was going through that. Um, and this verse just kept coming up and coming over and over and over and over again. So for you, um, do you have a life verse? Or do you ever wonder if the life verse you're using is actually what it means? Like, which I don't want to derail anyone's faith, okay? Or anyone's like, we go back and think, man, God used that in my life. It has to be right. Um, and I would say it, there are points and there are truths that God can use that are right, but when we begin to dig a little deeper in Scripture, we begin to see that it actually meant something slightly different for the people that originally heard it. So can God still use that? Yeah. Has he used it in my life? Of course. Um, but as we take time to dig a little deeper tonight, I want to encourage us just that. Um, if you find a sense in you, that tension that you're like, ooh, ooh, hang on, uh, do not like that. Um, because it's something different than we've heard before, or it's a different challenge than we've thought about before, um, I want to encourage us to remember that God can use things, that he's faithful. And as we look at this bigger picture of this passage, we'll kind of begin to see how it all works out. So for me, it can be a challenge to have a verse mean so much, and then come to find out that is not what the verse actually means in Scripture. That it does not undermine God's working, or even the truth that I held on to, that that's not true. That happened to me all the time. My senior year of high school, um, yearbooks came around. So I decided to get you my senior photo. Here you go. Uh, my child photo is much better than my senior photo, which I had nothing to do. And you'll notice, this is it if you want to see more. Um, thanks for blurring the other guy out. Anyways, um, in the top left, 
is a life verse. So each senior had to come to the table with their favorite verse. And I went, at this time, God was prompting me in my life to begin serving people. So I went with Matthew 28, 19, go into all nations and share the gospel, on and on. Um, And other people would bring verses that are extremely out of context. So you always have that one kid, right? If you're in class right now, you know who this kid is. Um, If you have students or you're a teacher, you know who this kid is. And you always have the one student that takes everything to like the ninth degree and it's wrong. So we'd have students come up with this crazy Old Testament verse, like don't eat goats boiled in their mother's milk and want to put it up there completely out of context. And our school would always catch it, except one, which he's in the record books. But um, they'd always catch it. But interestingly enough, they were okay with Jeremiah 29, 11 being pulled out and smashed into a kid's life. And no one ever was like, hey, have you ever taken time to actually like unpack that passage and see what God was actually meaning and saying to the Israelite people during that time? No one ever said that. So tonight, um, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. This passage um, has a lot of baggage. We each come into it with different things. It's very, very popular. Um, This past weekend, we had a high school student share a devotional time. She used this passage. And I was like, oh, mm." Um, because she like went right at, and I looked at Justin Matthews, and he went, are you teaching on that? And I was like, don't talk about it. She's okay. She's not wrong. She's okay. Um, and then right now, there's a, a classic documentary on Netflix uh, called Last Chance You. Very intense. Lots of language. Not for everyone. It's about a junior college football program that takes uh, Division One athletes that couldn't make the cut, whether athletically um, or criminal system or whatever it is, um, and they bump them down to this junior college to see if they're going to make the cut and get back into Division One. And in it, a kid blows out his knee. They interview him on camera, and what's he say? Hey, it's okay, I'm hurt. I know God has plans, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, he reads this passage off, plans not to harm and plans for future and plans um, that will help me. So it's all over the place. Um, Why is it so popular? I think because it's comforting to be known. I think it's a good reminder um, that there is a God out there that doesn't just judge us for the things that we've done wrong, but has a future that we are a part of. We're part of this bigger thing. Um, And then there's like this American dream piece, right? So we often end up reading it like, um, I know the plans I have for you, says God. Plans for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And Alexis, or whatever, right? And we're like shocked by that, and we're like, ooh, what are you doing? Um, that's not how it goes. But then when we think about it, and we read it in reverse, like, I want to prosper. I want to have plans of hope and a future and not to harm me. But usually what happens in my mind is that those things are not the actual things that are ordained by God that he's talking about in this passage. Um, and as we continue to unpack it, we see God has plans for us. He knows us. He loves us. And he does not intend to bring us harm, and he wants us to be part of his kingdom. I think there's three dangers as we get to this passage, okay? Three dangers. The first one, um, oh, I should say this. If you're following along in here, the dangers aren't in here, one. Two, um, judging others was last week. Don't judge me, okay? Three, uh, we'll get to the blanks later. There you go, okay? Um, So I think there's three dangers, three dangers. The first one is that we can make scripture mean whatever we want. Right, I can take any passage of scripture and manipulate it to mean whatever I want and to make me feel happy and good about myself. Right, We all do it. I think it's part of our sin nature, but it's a major, major danger, um, especially with this passage, especially with this passage. Um, another danger. If I reach harm in my life, okay, if God has plans for a future and not to harm me, if I reach harm in my life, however I define that, 
Does that mean I'm not within God's plans? We have to wrestle with that one. But the problem is when we quick read it, that's what we hear. Well, wait, if I'm in harm's way, if I'm in a crisis situation, if my family, whatever, if someone has said whatever, wait, is that harm? Does that pull me out of what God's plans? And then have I stepped out of God's plans? Or does God have plans to harm me? But that can't be right. Right, and we get in this wrestle. I see it all the time with students. We get in this wrestle. Um, the third danger, I think, is that God wants to bless my life as long as I do what he wants me to do, right? So we come up with this equation. We come up with this equation. JW, if you could th- throw it up on the screen here for me. Um, and here's the danger. Okay, there's the verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's the short part. Um, and then that first equation, if you would throw that up. Perfect. Here's where we land if we quick read it. If I do what God wants and I'm committed to him, I get his plans of prosperity. And the risk and the danger is that I define those plans. That I define it. For our high school students, it's I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do well in college. I'm going to have good friends. I'm going to end up with a good job or whatever it is. But I don't know if that's actually what this passage is saying. And if I'm honest, it all kind of hinges on me, right? I have to do what God wants me to do. I have to be committed to him, and then I get what I want, right? But the problem is, I've lived a lot of years of my life thinking that's true. And maybe that's just me. Um, Maybe that's just me. But I think this verse invites us into something so much bigger, so much bigger than my dream or my plans or what I could hope that my future looks like. And what it, we'll see what it begins to say is, wait, if God truly has plans for us, they have to be bigger than what I can think of. They have to be bigger than having a successful college career or this property or house or whatever, you, however you would define your own prosperity. It has to be bigger than that. So to really understand what Jeremiah is saying, we need to look at the bigger picture, the entire passage, and kind of see where it lands. Um, And we need to begin to unpack it. So if we go back, the whole way back to the beginning of Scripture, okay, creation. Adam and Eve enter the scene. Um, Quickly, we figure out that it's not good for a man to be alone. So God creates another person. And then we have the fall of man, right? Sin enters the world. The tree, they eat from the tree. Brokenness enters the world. They become what? Naked and and ashamed, not afraid. Um, They become naked and afraid. Don't watch that show. No one? Okay. They become naked and ashamed, and they hide from God, and the presence of God um, moves past them, and they begin to miss it. The first point, we see humanity kind of beginning to miss it. Um, They end up being banished from the garden. Cain and Abel come around, and then Noah comes around. And we begin to see this first covenant between God and people, right? So Noah enters the scene, and judgment enters the scene because of the sin and the things that were happening. But God makes a covenant that he will never flood the earth again, and he maintains humanity as it goes through. Then we have the Tower of Babel, another situation. Then we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, tons and tons of connection points between God and humanity and how that's going to continue on. And then we have Moses. Okay, and this is where this passage really begins to take some grit. We have Moses and the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, the connection between God and the Israelites that set up that essentially said, hey, if you keep my rules and you do things my way, you'll keep the land, right? You'll get to be my people, the land flowing with milk and honey, and everything will be okay. If you don't, 
bad things are going to happen. Exile happens, the Babylonians happen, the Assyrians happen, and this goes on and on and on. So what happens? People see God's faithfulness, good things happen, they're following his way, and then they drift off a little bit and miss it, and then we do it again and again and again. So God brings these guys to the scene. They're called judges. So Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Samuel, and there's these kingdoms soon after that rise up, okay, of Saul and Solomon and David before Solomon, and we have leaders like Jeroboam and Ahab and Elijah, captivity and freedom and Daniel and Esther, and then we get to the major prophets. Okay, so all this, keep in mind, the one thing that's important to remember, connection between God and people and what that consistently looks like. Connection between God and people and what that looks like. So Jeremiah lands about 722 BC while Israel is under the control of the Assyrians. His goal is to go in He's a prophet to go in and warn Judah, Israel, of their destruction, to remind them of their sin, convince them to submit to the Babylonian invaders. I don't like that. Okay. We see early in Jeremiah, he realizes and learns of his call. So the first 10 chapters, all about Jeremiah being called by God to step in and change all this stuff and speak into these people's lives. Um, then he writes a ton of the book about warnings that are mostly ignored, right? We don't like those, so we don't ever quote them in your books, okay? Um, so chapters 11 through 28 are all the warnings that Jeremiah gives to the people. Then he gives hope of the new covenant, hope of the new connection to God, even though they're in exile, which is uh, chapter 29 through 39. We like those and quote those a lot, okay? And then the fall of Jerusalem, chapters 40 through 52. So if you're following along in your bulletin, point one, um, point one, or the first thing listed, there's no numbers there. We need to read different books, so the first blank is different books of the Bible differently. We need to read different books of the Bible differently. It's important that we read these correctly, right? So if we read Genesis as if it was something Jesus directly said, it's not gonna make sense. If we read the Old Testament Without Jesus in mind, we totally miss out on all the richness and the fullness that the gospel then brings. If we read the New Testament, or the letters, they aren't letters, we miss out on the connection between Paul and Timothy and between all these different people. And they have different nuances and things that come up um, along the way. So I wanted to take just a few minutes um, and go, go off tangent just a little bit and encourage us to read scripture correctly. And I think there's a couple tools you may want to write down um, that we can do that. Uh, for me, it's very easy, and I see this all the time in students. We, I love when high school students or middle school students share about their faith. When we speak things out loud, um, it begins to be real for our students especially. But what often happens is they talk about their life, and then they pull a verse out and just drop it in there and hope it makes sense. Um, but I think we need to not do that. So the Gospel Coalition is a nonprofit, an organization that came around um, a few years back, and their whole goal is to help people understand the gospel well and interact in community about it. So they have five suggestions, five suggestions for us. Um, the first one um, is read the passage with the entire Old Testament in mind. Read the passage with the entire Old Testament in mind. Look at it as a story of Israel and how does it fit. What is the interaction between God and people? God has always been faithful, right? So we see it in the garden, we see it in the flood, we see it in Egypt. Surely he will be faithful again. So let's read it looking for how will God be faithful. Um, number two, excuse me, don't get lost in the details. There's tons of details that can take years and years and years to unpack. In college, 
Um, I took an Old Testament class, um, many, but one of them, the first one, had a book. It had to be 10,000 pages. I mean, the thing was like ginormo. Um, and he just, the teacher would get up in the morning and just like drop it and, and like start reading and reading and reading. And this dude was brilliant. And he would take like six days to unpack one word in Exodus and bore us to tears. But he would take six days to do that. Um, and there are people out there that have done that work that can help us. Um, but we have to be careful not to get stuck on these little details. Because if we do, we miss out on the bigger picture. Uh, number three, look for big themes. Look for big themes. Themes, I'm sorry. What are the things that occur time and time again? What do we see over and over and over? And we'll see that in a second in Jeremiah. Number four, look for Jesus. Although the Gospels only make up just a small section of Scripture, everything else points to it. So the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus and his coming and what he does here on the planet. And post-Jesus, Gospels, New Testament, um, looks back and says, okay, how does this interaction continue, that connection? Uh, Number five, ask the big questions. Ask the big questions. What did God want from his people? What does this mean to the people hearing it? What promises did God make to his people? What does God reveal about his own character? How does God save people in this passage? How does God save people in this passage? Okay, I'm going to pause here. This is going to be another one of those little interaction points. Okay, I'll pause here. That is a lot of information, and we haven't really even talked about the passage yet. Okay, lots of information. The last thing I want us to do tonight is to hear a ton of information and not let it sit at all. Um, or change or allow the Holy Spirit to work and change and transform our lives. So we'll take about a one minute, maybe two minutes, um, turn to someone, something that maybe stood out to you, something that surprised you, something you disagree with, maybe how you like or dislike my shirt, just something um, to talk and connect with each other. So go ahead, one or two minutes. All right. All right, come on back. Awesome. When we do these in high school, um, it takes about five minutes. So if we talk for a minute, it takes, you have to multiply it by five. So if we talk for two minutes, it's ten minutes to get everyone to come back and pay attention. Um, but here it's really quick. So thanks for that. Um, we're going to dive into the Jeremiah part now. Okay? So we're going to dive kind of headfirst in and see what was going on. Life was terrible okay, for the Israelites, for God's people. Kings and spiritual leaders were filled with corruption People disobeyed God's command. They intermarried with these surrounding pagan tribes who led them to worship other gods. And sitting here, looking back, it's easy for us to be like, shame on you. Um, But we'll see, it's not quite that simple. God had enough, and although there was still a faithful people, there were still a few that were faithful, um, most had turned their back on him. We see that God rose up this prophet, Jeremiah, to guide and correct them. It goes back to Leviticus 18. So if you want to write that down, Leviticus 18, 2 through 3. And this promise that God made to the people that said, if you live like I'm asking you to live, this will work. This connection, this community, your life, and um, your, well, not faith at that point, but your connection to the Father will work. If not, you'll miss it. So in verse 2 through 3 of Leviticus 18, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as you did in Egypt. Don't be like the people around you. There's something different about you. Or in Canaan, do not follow their ways. Follow my ways. Okay, and then we flip to Exodus 24. um, And through that chapter, we see different things. You get the land if you're faithful to the covenant. Jeremiah steps in. He's God's chosen messenger and enters the scene. He had a normal prophet role, preaching, teaching, advising kings and leaders, predicting the future. It was like a small piece of it, but a very important piece that we begin to see where Jeremiah steps in and says, hey, if you keep acting like this, 
things will happen. You are going to destroy your connection to, the, to God at this time. His role was to proclaim judgment and wrath upon the people of God. I could do that. Okay, he then, just kidding, he then offers hope to the future generation. Gosh. Okay, one sense sounds wonderful. Another sense don't want to be anywhere near what Jeremiah had to be dealing with. Uh, we also from here view it so matter of fact. Okay, a guy walks in and corrects everything. But we need to think about the culture of that day a little bit. The, it was a spoken word culture. They were part of these oral traditions. There was a lot more to it. Um, because of this brokenness, because of their behavior, um, because of their broken covenant, um, they were going to be conquered by their enemies and taken into exile. Jeremiah was charged to tell them all this. God's people would also get this message from him. And then these other messengers rose up, right? So we have this, I, this guy, Jeremiah. And then in Jeremiah 28, we have a guy named Hananiah. Okay, and Hananiah was what we call a false prophet, right? We still have people like this today. Um, and Hananiah walked in and had a much different, we'll see in a second, um, message for the people than Jeremiah did. Hananiah walked in, falsely prophesied that the judgment of God is minor. It's only going to last two years. Okay, you broke the covenant. You're going to be exiled. You're going to be under the control of the Babylonians. But hey, it's only going to be two years. You can make two years. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Jeremiah prophesied or said, hey, you broke the covenant. You're going to be exiled. You're going to be under the control of someone that doesn't believe in who God is. Um, and it's going to be 70 years. Well, in that day, what you essentially are saying is, hey, for the rest of your life, you're exiled. You're out. Your kids, there's hope and future and plans. But for you, you're exiled. Well, of course, the people quickly ran to Hananiah and was like, I like that. Um, I'll go, I'll go, I'll take two instead of 70. Um, and it reminded me so much of like what we hear today. And how, again, it goes back to this, like I can manipulate scripture to make it good for me. I can listen to teachers that make things good for me. But am I taking time to actually pause and see what scripture says and see what God says? Because I'm, my mind is warped because of the brokenness and sin in my life. And I need to consistently be doing that. It reminded me of this passage in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, um, way down the road. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It's much easier. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Man, we see it all the time. I think about where are we getting our messages from Right, we could dive into the whole political mess and all that, and just which news channel do you watch and all that. But for us in our lives, where do we get these messages from? Do we have someone that's a sounding board that I can go to, that you can go to, and say, "Hey, um, I'm thinking this. Am I off? Where are we at? Do we have someone like that in our lives? If you don't, um, maybe are you like that for so in someone else's life? And then will they be like that for you? Um, scripture has to be this measuring stick, right? The scripture, God's word is called the canon, meaning measuring stick, to measure truth and, and what that means. I think community is a big piece. I think of mentors in my life that have helped me when I've gone directions of, I like the way that sounds, even though I know it's not completely true. Um, right now, and I was talking with a high school student at lunch today, um, anyone heard about this whole Planet X conspiracy stuff okay we have a couple okay so the, the the way the story goes and it's like taking it's like wildfire in our high school right now because kids like like weird conspiracy stuff and they also like the idea that everyone might die on saturday for some reason anyways hang with me so this idea is essentially it goes back like thousands of years and started and then a guy more recently that predicts the end of times unsuccessfully multiple times has come out with another one but for whatever reason 
we listen, um, or people do. And what he does is he took, um, he, he took the occurrence of the last few months with the eclipse and the flooding, the hurricane, the flooding, and smashed that into a Bible passage. Okay, so he said, hey, if you take the eclipse happened on the 21st, so we're going to go to Luke 21. And then he said, hey, Harvey hit land on the 25th. So we're going to go to Luke 21, 25. And then the flooding in Houston started on the 26th. So we're going to stop there. So he said, if we look at Luke 21, 25 through 26, you can read the, should I read it? I'll read it. It's kind of entertaining for me. Humor me. Um, if we go there, oh, I don't have it right here. And we read it, we see a thing that talks about the sun, the moon, the stars, and the raging of the sea. And you begin to read it, and you're like, oh, that's what he's talking about. But if you read it in context, that's not anything what he's talking about and Luke is talking about. He's talking about end times and what Jesus will be doing and all that. But he's not talking about September 23rd. And then he takes all this math. Here's, here's a little quote. The guy's name is David Mead. Author David Mead has been single-handedly pushing a theory that a hidden death planet is about to reveal itself to us on September 23rd before it kills us all. Side note, he wrote a bunch of books about surviving. <laughs> okay. Soon after, important little piece, yeah. Not a bad plan, all in all. It's a good marketing tool. Soon after that, <laughs> he probably has a ton of water and food too. Soon after that, the planet, along with the shower of other debris, will pass our planet, causing super volcanoes to erupt and tsunamis and mass death, except for government employees, who will, of course, flee to underground bunkers. You can do with this what you'd like. We should point out here that there's no evidence for this. Thank you, USA Today. Um, at all, bar some cryptic nonsense Mead has dug up in the Bible. I mean, there you go. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. Um, where do we get our messages from, right? Fear drives stuff. I had another student ask me about this Sunday night, and he goes, have you heard about this? I go, yeah. And, I, and he goes, do you think it's right? And I go, let me ask you something. When Jesus spoke, and all the stuff that Jesus predicted, do you find peace in his truth, or do you find fear in his truth? Like, are you fearful because of what Jesus said, or ultimately, are you end up being peace? finding peace because of how Jesus said, even though these things may happen. He's like, well, I'm afraid of some of this stuff because I don't know how it's going to work out. But tr if I trust Jesus, then it's always peace. I'm like, right. So this is fear. So can we trust it? And he goes, ah. <laughs> right? So where are we getting our messages from? Are we putting them through scripture filter? Are we throwing it by other people and saying, hey, what do you think about this? Do we have a community we can talk to? Jeremiah, jumping back, Jeremiah confronts Hananiah. And tells him, God will judge you um, for falsely calling, I'm sorry, that God will judge him for making this thing up. You can see it, Jeremiah 28, 15. Um, and soon after, Hananiah dies. There you go. And his prosperity gospel falls by the wayside. And lo and behold, Jeremiah's truth rings true and people begin to trust and see it. Interesting that the prophecy they begin to trust and see is actually 70 years of devastation. Most will not survive. Most will end up in slavery to another country. Even the faithful ones will have to go into exile. Well, if I do the equation by my, my way, if I do God's way, JW, throw that back up for me. If I do what God wants and I'm committed to Mim, plans of prosperity, that's not exile. But what actually happened? The faithful ones still ended up in exile. Jeremiah writes a letter to those that survive. In the first phase, in the word from the Lord. Um, it's not going to be your true home. There's going to be slavery, but the Lord will be there. Pray for your captors and don't be, de 
Don't be deceived by false promises or self-centered dream teachers. Interesting. Self-centered dream teachers. Think about the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? And there's this idea, um, morism, sensationalism, that the Pharisees and Sadducees would add all this stuff that people had to do, but they actually missed Jesus. It's interesting, when we flip back, Hananiah added all this stuff, and they missed the truth of what God was actually doing. For us, false promises, self-centered dreams, not actually centered on who Jesus is. It's more stuff I'm coming up with that I'm manipulating scripture to mean so that I end up being happy. Um, man, it's important. Do we have someone to throw these things past? Um, there's a picture that was taken a few weeks ago, and I think we can throw it up. I'll explain it in a second. Um, I, think, I think it's easy for us to see what we want all the time. It's easy for us to manipulate things to what we want. It's easy for us to be taken by false promises or self-centered things that I can end up being successful because of. Right? This picture is actually fake, by the way. But how many of you out there went, oh, and had a little anxiety seeing that? Yeah, I did. I shared it with a friend when I saw it. And he wrote back, dude, that's fake. Okay, if I found it and then Googled it a bit. And what it actually is, is someone took a picture. This came out right after Harvey. Okay, devastation, flooding. We know, we know what's going on. Thank you for praying and giving to Convoy of Hope and all these things. Um, what is going on here is a guy had a, a theory of what flooding would look like with global warming in the year 2050, and this is what it would look like. So he used this as an illustration to his speech at some university. Um, but the picture is powerful, and you're like, ooh, self, like, I kind of, I know how I want that to look and what I want to think about that, so I'm going to, even though we find out that it has nothing to do with the flooding that just took place. Here's why I say that. Um, man, there's a lot of bad news in our world. There's a lot of fake good stuff that people say so we feel better about the bad news. And I think if we hear nothing else tonight through this passage, and I know I'm all over the place, if we hear nothing else tonight, we need to hear that scripture is truth. And we need to push our, our mind, our words, what we're hearing, what we're learning at school, what we're doing at work, whatever, through the filter of scripture to figure out what is Jesus actually saying. I deceive myself all the time. I can think whatever I want and feel good about it, but it's not always what is true. Jumping back into the passage, even though there's a lot of bad news, Jeremiah does give them good news, right? So we pick up the verse, um, or chapter 29, verse 10 through 14, and I'll read it. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Remember, you get the land when you follow my ways, you're exiled, the land. Okay. For I know the plans I have for you. Here's the hope, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Man, I like that. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. Right? Connection, people, back to the Father. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back. It's funny, we don't put that in your books. <laughs> um, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. What's important in this passage? God is faithful. God will never leave us. He knows us. He loves us. He has plans. Yes, those are all true. But he's faithful that no matter what we face, there's things there. Matt, I need another couple minutes real quick. You're good, though. Thank you. Um, 
God is talking about his plans to once again restore his people. I, told, I used the key word at the wrong time. That's my fault. God is talking about his plans to once again restore his people, to prosper them, to literally bring them back from captivity. Man, that's powerful. I want to take a second and pause. Okay, maybe this time it's just a thought for yourself of where does this hit? Do I find myself looking to hear what I want to hear? Do I find myself trusting God's plans and these good things, but not actually having that connection with him? Or to saying, man, when I find harm or things I don't like, I feel far from God, but yet maybe that's actually when we have the best opportunity to be close to him. It's not that my behavior or what I need to do to get God to bless me or bring me his plans. It's instead that I put my faith and trust in Jesus and allow his grace, what he does, to cover the brokenness and sin in my life. Jeremiah is reminding them to look at their lives and realize they missed it, just like in the garden. Now there are consequences, but remember, God is faithful. And I miss it way too much. I often feel like I need to perform to get God's attention or be hyper-spiritual with my life. And then Jesus will meet me and answer whatever I'm asking him to do, me focused. When really all I need to do is love him for loving me and rest in his work that he's already done. In your bulletin, there's a few guides to tonight, some thoughts as we close um, that we can walk through. The next one is, who does the plan benefit? It's easy for us to read the passage and read it wrong, to read it based on my own definition of prosperity or what I think God should want for me. It's even easy to define harm in different ways and make it so subjective. I think the way we should be reading it is to understand that people went through 70 years of exile, yet they found hope that God was with them through it and has plans to help them to continue as a people group corporately. It is not used as an immediate blessing for them to have individually, and perhaps it shouldn't be for me either, but instead a reminder that whatever I face through my own choices, pain, sin, and brokenness of this life, or perhaps God's judgment, although Jesus takes that from us already and changes all that and brings us a hope and a future that will bring him honor based on his dreams for me, not my dreams for him. So the question remains, who do the plans benefit? Me and my thoughts of success or Jesus and his kingdom growth? Okay, the next one. Do I follow the plans or do I follow the one that knows the plans? We cannot say you have plans to prosper me based on my conditions, so I'll follow your plans. But instead we must say you are all-knowing, all-powerful, and always with us. So I can trust in your faithfulness and plans. Come harm, come the world we live in, come whatever my family's got going on, or come good days. I think of the picture of marriage, right? Sickness and health, on and on, I can't remember, don't tell my wife. Okay, and, (laughs) right? But there's faithfulness through that in our ideal picture of marriage and the same connection goes with God. So we have this new equation that comes to the scene. And instead of it being, um, could you just throw them both up there, JW? Thank you. Instead of it being do what God wants, be committed to him and get my dreams, it ends up being honor God with my life choices, be committed to him and community, and then the, the focus gets taken off me really quick and what I have to produce. Rest and trust in the grace of Jesus. I don't need to run harder. I probably just need to relax and trust that he's got this thing. And then rich and full life come that is centered on him. Rich and full life that is centered on him. Man, these are so different. As a young adult, I spent a lot of years spinning wheels trying to get God's attention when all I really needed to do was trust who he is and know him 
and then the plans come down the road. Um, I was reminded, you know, as as a young adult, this whole God has plans for you thing was really tough because I had the sense that if <coughs> if something bad came up or something I thought was bad would come up, then I missed his plans. I fell off his will. And growing up, it was always that, hey, God has a will. God has plans to prosper harm, not to harm, all these things. But then things would happen, and I'd be like, well, I must have missed it. Right? And I remember sitting in Breckenridge at dinner one night with Jeff Lucas, and he said something again that changed my life. And I said, hey, we were talking about God's will. He said, hey, how did you get to Timberline and all these things? And I remember looking at him and saying, well, I feel like I follow what God wants me to do. But I've always had that thought of like, well, what if I should have never moved to Colorado so many years ago? And I actually, there were different plans I should have done. Now they're all spiraled out for the rest of my life. Anyone else think like this? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm whew, not the only one. Okay, and he said this. He said, Tim, I think God's will is not a tightrope you can fall off. That we're like, oh, I hope this is the right step, right? And if you fall off, you miss it. But instead, it's a field to run through. That when our life is centered and focused and built up in him, and we have a Christian community of people around us to keep us on that, man, there's freedom in following the plans that God's given us. And it quickly becomes not this fear, I hope I don't mess up, and it becomes, man, I get to be part of this thing that's so much bigger than me, so much more than I could ever think, so much more dreams and plans than I could ever come up with. It is so easy for us to miss it, to become selfish, manipulate the text, to help us think that we are manipulating God in giving us what we want instead of actually having his plans for our life. Finally, in your bulletin, Matt, if you would come at this time, thank you. Um, There is comfort in being known. Man, I like that a lot. There's comfort in being known. It's a reminder that God's people are known by him. We are known by him. That he loves us, that he's faithful to us. I think of Psalm 139 that says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. Before a thought is on my mind or a word is on my tongue, you know it already. One sense, horrifying. But in the other sense, really, really comforting. To know that there's a God that created everything the whole way back, Adam and Eve in the garden. And people, right, followed his ways, banished, followed his ways, exiled, followed his ways, servants, slaves. But what's true the whole way through? God was faithful. God was with them. God did have plans of hope and future that didn't bring harm ultimately in the end and invited them into something that was so much bigger than the plans they would hope or hope to manipulate God into giving them. Man, if you've heard nothing else tonight, hear this. There's a God that loves you, cares for you, knows you, and knows what you are facing. He knows what you've done, and he loves you anyways. You don't need to prove your worth to him or to anyone. You are loved. You are not alone. Find rest and trust and peace in him. Um, Tonight, I'm going to invite us to respond through this song. Um, wherever you're at. Maybe tonight you're like, you just brought up like a thousand more questions and helped nothing. That's very probable, okay? But wherever you're at, maybe you just feel alone, that there is no one in this community thing. There's no one connected to you. You feel like God is long gone and unfaithful. Be reminded that he's there, that when we call on his name, he answers, that despite what we're facing now, he's with us and faithful to us. 
Be reminded of that. Be reminded that he does have plans. Maybe you're in a place in your life that you don't know what the next step is. And although this passage is a little different than the graduation card, we know that God has ultimate plans for us that bring him glory and honor and make his name known. And being part of that is gonna be greater than any plans we can dream up. It's gonna be that rich, full life and part of something huge. Take comfort in being known.